Yesterday we said, we basically put it out on a table, very simple. We laid it out. There's a battle between the Yetzirah and the Neshama. We said it's no contest that the Yetzirah will be the absolute decisive winner over the Neshama, like the Gemara says. Lo yacholo. The Neshama and the person cannot fight the Yetzirah. But as we learned yesterday, the Derech Eitz Hayim says that when you fill your neshama with fuel, that fuel is wisdom, chokhmah. You fill it up with chokhmah and you continue to supply the chokhmah. You don't stop, you don't fill it and stop, you continue. So that person is also no contest. He'll be like the Malachim. It's not that he'll have to fight. He has such clarity, there's no fight. Just like angels don't fight to do the right thing, a person will not have to fight to do the right thing because clarity is power. Wisdom is the power of the soul which makes it the absolute winner in this battle. That's what we learned so far. Look what he says. Here. Which means that Hashem wanted that a person should have a yetzerara that would try to take him off the correct way of living life. And he would have to battle with this Yetzirah. There will be a constant struggle of doing the right thing against the Yetzirah that's pulling him the wrong way. Which means that he would be able to be beat. Menutzah means he can be beaten or notzayah, or he could be the one who beats, the winner. He could be overtaken or he could overtake. Beshikul ehad, with the same balance. Basically, we call that free choice. Free choice is that a person is placed in a predicament where there's a balance, where it's not too hard, because then it's no battle, where it's not too easy, because again there's no battle. So the balance, the purpose of the balance is to create that free choice where he's going to need to do something that might be a little difficult, but not too hard, and he can't do it, and not too easy where there's no need to put effort. That's called shikul ehad. This is why we learned once that Hashem hardened the heart of Paro. He brought on the plagues onto Egypt and the Egyptians, 
and we find that Paro continuously, despite the destruction that he's seeing to his country, he's still holding strong. He's not letting them go. And Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu why this is so. He told him, don't be surprised if you see Paro not follow through with what he's supposed to do. Because I hardened his heart. Which means I made him more stubborn. That despite the destruction, he will not let them go. The Midrash explains what's the idea. So the Midrash, the Ramban also explains that this was not to take away his free choice. When Hashem hardened his heart, it wasn't to take away his free choice. Rather, it was to give him free choice. Because if he would be in his regular, normal, if it would be me and you, and we wanted something very badly, but then we see the destruction and the miraculous destruction of the ten plagues, we would see our homes, our people, our country decimated. Obviously, we would give in. There would be no contest. So in order to give him free choice, despite the destruction, Hashem hardened his heart to counter the miraculous destruction. Because the miraculous destruction would make it very easy for him to make the right choice. Hashem hardened his heart to keep the balance that he would still have free choice and could still decide not to do the right thing. This is the miracle of free choice that Hashem is continuously working each person. It's, if you think about it and you give it a few minutes, you will realize it's one of the greatest, miraculous, genius ideas there is where Hashem guides every person uniquely in His own world. He guides him and always according to His level. And he continuously is figuring out the balance for that person. There are certain people, for example, to learn Torah all day, for most people, it's not even relevant. Not something within even their, their, their current world. Right? That's not where their free choice is. There are people who don't struggle at all with McDonald's and Burger King. That's not within their free choice. Hashem has to create for each person their own world of free choice where they elevate themselves. There are Jews in the world struggling with McDonald's. So that for them is the balance for where they are. As they grow from it, no longer 
a fight, no longer a battle. But then there's a new, a new level of war where Hashem continuously keeps the free choice in the balance. I told you once, I don't know if you remember, I told you once about what the Mikhtav Me'eliyahu writes, what he calls Nekudata Behira. He calls it the point of free choice. He says every person has a point of free choice. Basically the question is, can every person become as great as the biggest tzaddik? And can every person become the biggest rasha? That's a question. If I grow up in the most holy home, can I end up being the biggest rasha? And if I grow up in the most evil home, can I become the biggest tzaddik? Is that within the ability of a person? Can we expect a Jew somewhere in mid-America to become this great person? Or it's not really within his free choice. He's not, he's not educated. He doesn't know anything. He barely knows he's Jewish. Can we expect from him to come to shul every morning, to learn Torah for a few hours, to elevate himself, to become a great tzaddik and a great gadol? seems to be very far from reality. So the question is, can a great person, or rather, a person who grew up in a great atmosphere become a very low rasha? And can a person growing up in a very low area become a very big tzaddik? So says Rav Daslah Shalom, very simple, very beautifully said, there's something called the point of free choice. He says every person is battling the point for himself. He gives a mashal. I gave you this mashal once before. Right? He says there is a... Actually, I'm not sure if he gives the mashal. I'll correct that. It's a mashal to explain what he says. We have a game called the tug of war this this sport has this long 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 rope there are two teams the middle right is where they're pulling from each other the goal of each team is to get the entire rope right so a very long rope the goal is to get the entire rope to their side. Now, even though the battle is to get the entire rope, but they never actually fight for the entire rope. It's interesting. Think about that. Even though the goal of this game is to get the entire rope, but you never fight for the entire rope. If you would look at any given moment, they're fighting for that middle piece. The middle piece is where each team is trying to get it to their side. Now, once you got that little middle to your side, there develops a new middle. 
And now you fight for that one. And if you get that one, then there's a new middle. And they fight for that one. So if you keep winning the middle, at some point, you gain the whole rope. And the loser as well, they lose the entire rope by each battle of the middle. So even though you're fighting for the entire rope, but you never battle for the entire rope. The battle is always for the middle piece. But where's the middle piece? Well, it depends where the rope is moving. If the rope is moving towards you, the middle piece is the part that's further from you. If you're losing, the middle piece that's closer to you is going toward the other guy. You're losing at every middle piece that goes away from you. That's the game of tug of war. That is a mashal for life. So for example, you have a Jew that grew up somewhere in mid-America who knows basically that he's Jewish, doesn't really know much, may have a little spark for something. Now, that Jew has really expectations of becoming a big person. That he should pray every day with a minyan, should learn Torah, should do mitzvot. Absolutely. The rope that he has is no different than my rope or your rope. But his beginning, his beginning is very, very far on the other side of the rope. He's struggling with very simple things that me and you maybe never struggled with. He's struggling if maybe when he was invited to a Friday night dinner by some Jewish home, and he kind of knew that as a Jew, that's the right thing to do. Of course he would drive there, that's not even part of his battle. That's nowhere near the middle. That's a lost battle. Driving is not nogeya, not relevant. Praying is not nogeya. Learning is not nogeya. That's all a loss. That's all on the other side. Not nogeya to him at all. The only thing that's nogeya, this guy, is this small decision. Should he go to the Friday night dinner? And he's struggling. Yes, Friday night. No Friday night. Should I really go? If he wins this battle, so now he drives to the Friday night dinner. Of course, he's not going to shul. Of course, he's not praying. Of course, he's not doing kiddush. He's not doing any of that. But he decided to spend Friday night dinner with Jewish people. Something. So now... He won that little battle and he took the rope a little bit closer to him. In this Friday night dinner, usually what happens is something like somebody says, won't you join me in this? Oh, we're going to Israel. Won't you come with me? You know, we're going to visit some older people in this home, why don't you come? You know, we have a class once a month. 
maybe you'll come in one of the classes, we have an unbelievable class, you'll enjoy it, you'll live. And then that will be his nekuda. And if he takes advantage, he brings the rope a little closer. So now the nekuda changes. If he keeps going and makes the right choices, so at some point, he may actually struggle with eating cheeseburgers. He heard cheeseburgers are no good. Says that's, I can't, but he's struggling. He loves cheeseburgers. He's been eating cheeseburgers all life. He's, that's his nekuda right now. That's the battle. Cheeseburgers, no cheeseburgers. He wins the battle. Then he moves on. He moves on to regular meat. And then he moves on to french fries still. And then he moves on. So now, what happens is, what happens is, what happens in this war is that every time you win a battle consistently, it becomes no longer a battle. Like the person who never kept Shabbat, it was a battle to keep Shabbat. But if he held on to it, at some point, no longer a battle. That part of the rope is already in his pocket. He's not fighting for it anymore. The Yetzirah is not fighting for it. Now he's going on a higher battle. A higher one. So according to this, the biggest tzaddik can become the biggest rasha. It's just a matter of losing the battles. So the guy who grew up in Yerushalayim in a rabbi's house started in a very different place with the same rope. Just his rope was mostly by him. And he had to fight for very high things. So for example, he's now uh, he's 16, 17 and uh, instead of learning four hours first seder with real sweat, he learns for three hours and a half, and for half hour he's, uh, he's wasting his time. Now, the, his battle on his level is the half hour. If he loses that battle, and that becomes obvious, I don't do that half hour, now, you're fighting for two hours. And then if you lose that battle, then you know what? I have to go to shul early. I got to pray on time. I'll get there a little later. I go on Shabbat. They start that uh, I used to go to the 7 o'clock minyan. Let me go to the 9 o'clock minyan. Okay. He lost the battle a little bit. 9 o'clock minyan. It's not the same. Not the same people. Not the same time. Kiryat Shema. Okay. Then he starts to come late. And at some point, once in a while, he even pray home. And then once in a while, and then at some point, he said, you know, out of the prayer altogether. And one day he missed the feeling. That was a big item. And then he missed two days. And then he missed, then he forget, he got to feel altogether. And all of a sudden, this guy, he keeps giving back the rope 
one point at a time, and you could find him one day being the lowest of the low. And the guy from mid-America, if he keeps winning the rope, he will get more and more and more opportunities, and he can become the greatest person. That is the battle of life. So who's in charge of this point, of this balance? That's the creator's job. To make sure that we're always challenged on our level. Because some challenges are way beyond us. That's not relevant. And some challenges are so easy, they're not relevant. So there always has to be a challenge on our level. The guy who grew up eating kosher, when he walks by McDonald's, he's not going crazy. He doesn't care. Not even for the French fries. Zero. Nothing. There's no, there's no battle for him to go into McDonald's. What's the question? It's obvious. He's not fighting that battle. But he's fighting a different battle. Hashem is constantly giving us, for us, the challenges that we are capable of handling on our level and we're always fighting on our level. The good news is, when you beat your level, it becomes yours. But then, they put you another one. One that you couldn't handle before because you weren't ready for it. But today you are. So now they give you another one. That's what we learn in general. In general, that's what we learn from the parashah of the Miraglim. It says over there that the, the Torah, the way he reports it, it says it brings the story of Miriam, end of parashat Be'alotecha, talks about the story of Miriam and Aharon when they spoke negatively of Moshe Rabbeinu. And Miriam got punished for that. She got sarat. And then the next piece in the Torah is Shelach Lecha, go send, go send the spies. So Rashi Alava Shalom quotes a Midrash that says, why is the parasha of the Miraglim, why is the parasha of the spies next to the parasha of Miriam? Why is that placed over there? And as she says, because Hashem tells the Miraglim, you saw what happened when someone is not careful with their mouth and they speak negatively. You saw the destruction and you didn't take Musar, you didn't take the right direction for yourself and you continued along the same path. And that's why they were punished. The question on this Rashi is very obvious. That there is no question to begin with. Because if you look in the order of where Am Yisrael was and the stories that took place in the desert, in reality, the story of the Miraglim happened right after the story of Miriam. So there's no question to begin with. What are you asking? Why did the Torah write the story of the Miraglim after the story of Miriam? 
answer because that's what it happened. It's not a question. You can ask questions like that when there's no order, when something is out of order. The real explanation to this Midrash is not asking why the Torah wrote it this way. Rather, the, 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 the Rashi is asking, why did it happen this way? Which means, why is it that Hashem waited to send the Miraglim only after the story of Miriam? The Miraglim should have been sent when they got out of the Yamsuf. They got out of the sea. They're on their way to Israel already. So at that point, they should have sent the Miraglim. They were up at, right after they got the Torah. Send the Miraglim. Why did they wait? Why did Hashem wait to send the Miraglim only after the story of Miriam? So according to that, that's the question. Hashem waited. He didn't want the Miraglim to go until the story of Miriam. Then he said, now they can go. Why? Oh, she says, because Hashem first wanted them to see how careful you have to be with your words and how much destruction you can cause when you're not careful with your words. And only after you saw that, now you're capable of this new mission of going and doing it in a successful night. If they wouldn't have seen the destruction of the wrong word said, so maybe they wouldn't know how bad it is to speak negatively. And then it wouldn't have been free choice for them. If they didn't have the capability of understanding the power of words and the destructive nature of words, then they wouldn't be able to really go there and pass this challenge. So Hashem didn't send them because they're not capable. Hashem is not going to put you in a situation when you're not capable. So He's waiting until the story of Miriam played out and all that took place happened. Oh, now Hashem says, now you're capable. The rope moved a little bit. You have a little new understanding of what right and wrong is. And at this point, they'll, they'll be capable of making the right decision. Capable doesn't mean they will. Capable means now it's free choice. Two of them made the right choice. Ten of them still made the wrong choice. But they were at least capable. That's why Hashem waited till the story of Miriam in order that the free choice should be there. Because to send the Miraglim on this mission without free choice, not fair. So therefore Hashem had to wait to make it fair. So the creator of the world is constantly working with each individual to challenge them in their nekuda, in their point. 
To make it too high for them, impossible. To make it too low, not a challenge. So the person has to be constantly getting his own challenges, his own balance of challenges. And that's the way Hashem runs the world. That's why when a person finds himself in life, in situations that he feels might be too difficult, or sometimes he finds himself in a spiritual challenge that he might think it's too difficult, you should know that if you're struggling with it, it must mean that you could do it. Because if you're not, because if, if you couldn't do it, you wouldn't have the struggle. So if you're struggling with something, it has to be that you could do it. That's the way Hashem runs the world. He wouldn't give you a struggle if you are going to lose for sure. So if you're struggling, that's a sure sign that in Shamaim Hashem saw that today, where you are, you could handle this. Whether it's a social issue, whether it's a business issue, or a spiritual issue, if you're challenged, must be you can. Because if you can't, they would not send the challenge to you. And that's how Hashem continuously guides our lives point by point, challenge by challenge. As we win, the challenges get greater. As we lose, the challenges become things that once ago, we would never consider them a challenge. We never would have even thought to do that or not to do that. It was so beyond our realm. Of course we were going to pray. Of course we're going to put on tefillin. Of course we're going to eat kosher. Of course we're going to keep Shabbat. It wasn't even a challenge. But if you lose enough times on that rope, things that before were obvious to you that you're going to do, all of a sudden become the new challenge. And as you grow higher, things that you never thought are even relevant to you, all of a sudden become a new challenge. And that is really the way Hashem sets up our life mission. Every, he, every person here can get to the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. The ropes, everyone's got the same rope. They just start people on different parts. You started here, he started there. But everyone's got the capability of going to the highest and everyone is capable of reaching the lowest. One decision at a time. One point at a time. This is Hashem's tremendous chokhmah in His miraculous way of how He deals. Think about that. Every individual on every level of His because individuals themselves continue to change while they, or they go up or they go down. Hashem has to be constantly on each one to make sure that he is challenged on his level. And that's a great miracle of free choice. That's what he's saying over here, that Hashem wants to make sure that you have shikul, that you have the balance. Not too easy, where it's a no-brainer for you, and not too hard, where you can't win. Hashem has to constantly be monitoring your life 
to make sure you're continuously getting challenged. And our job at the end of the day is very simple. You don't have to be Moshe Rabbeinu today, but you have to be winning your own challenges today. And as you win your own challenges, you're going to get higher and higher. You could have dreams of very big things, but one, one challenge at a time. And as you win them, you'll get more and more opportunities.